Thank you, John. Please stand as we prepare to read from God's Word. If you would stand and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Again, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Pastor Bruce in his concluding series, What Jesus Came to Do for You. This morning, his message title is, Jesus Came to Change Your Life from the Encounter Between Jesus and Zacchaeus. So again, follow along as I read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner? Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give a half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, Salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Please bow your heads and pray with me, please, this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's only in Jesus that we have a hope. Lord Jesus, you have made a way to us, to our Heavenly Father, and we thank you for that. Only you can you change lives and restore us in a relationship to our Heavenly Father. Help us this morning as we see all the many things that you've come, that you've really done so many things for us, ultimately giving your life for us on a cross and giving us eternal life, something we do not deserve. Father, be with Pastor Bruce in this message as he speaks to us. May your spirit be upon him. May we all be ready to receive from you what you have for us this morning in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we want to conclude this series that we've been in for the last three Sundays. The series we've been calling What Jesus Came to Do for You. And as you can tell from Randy in our scripture passage this morning, we are going to look at the encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus as Jesus passed through the city of Jericho. Now, this is one of the more famous encounters, one of the more famous stories in all the Bible. It's one that most people grow up hearing about or learning as a kid. In fact, I can still remember uh, hearing this as a kid in Sunday school class and uh, even growing up as a kid singing a little song uh, about Zacchaeus. In fact, it's interesting. Uh, My wife didn't know this, but she... I walked in the bedroom, and her and Jack were reading this very passage. They didn't know I was even going to preach on it this Sunday. And Darla and Jack were singing this little kid's song. You guys, how many remember the kid's song? You know what I'm talking about? It's coming up on the screen now. And it's a children's song by Elsie Leslie. And uh, no, I'm not going to sing it for you. And you're going to praise God for that. Uh, But you see it, the words there, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed by his way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today, for I'm going to your house today. Now, you have to admit, this idea of a wee little man perched up in a tree like a bird, well, it makes for a great kid story, doesn't it? You bet it does. But we need to understand something. This story is not just for kids. Let me tell you, it's for adults. And uh, one of the dangers with a story like Zacchaeus is we've heard this story so much, we perhaps have read it so often, that we, we tend to just pass over it now in our adulthood. 
Uh, we, we tend to think, oh, man, I already know all there is about the story of Zacchaeus. I've heard it as a kid all my life. What's, what's there to learn now about this story? And so I want to ask you to do something. I want to challenge all of us this morning to kind of set aside our assumptions of what we think we know about this story, which what you know is probably a lot is true, and to open up your heart to what maybe Jesus perhaps wants to teach you afresh and anew this morning through this encounter between the Son of God and a tax collector named Zacchaeus. This encounter comes at a very serious time in the life of Christ. This encounter takes place at the the tail end of Jesus' ministry here on earth. In fact, he's only days from arriving in Jerusalem. And a week later, once he arrives in Jerusalem, he suffers at uh, his death on the cross, the crucifixion. And so, significantly, the final line in this whole encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus contains the whole purpose of why Jesus came to begin with. Isn't it interesting? Here we're entering into the Christmas season. Jesus came. And the question is, why? Most people celebrate Christmas, and they don't even know why he came. Well, at the end of this encounter, Jesus himself tells us explicitly why he came. What it is he came to do for you and I in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Look at it one more time. It states, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This verse right here gives us our fourth and final answer to the question we've been answering throughout this series. What did Jesus come to do for you? And I'm summarizing it like this. You see it in your notes there. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost so that we can experience life change. This encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus, it speaks to our greatest need in life. Life change. That is our greatest need that we have. All of us need to be changed from the inside out. Every one of us has this need for our life to be changed. And Jesus came to seek us out and to save us so that we can experience the kind of life that he wants us to experience. Now, what's interesting, right off the bat with this encounter, is that the name Zacchaeus is, oh, it's, it's ironic. Anybody know what his name means? It means righteous person, or righteous one, or pure one. But as a tax collector in those days, let me tell you, being named righteous? Well, that would be like the town hooker being named chastity. I mean, the name and the character just don't match with each other. And so Zacchaeus was, let me tell you, he was far from living out his name. That is, until Jesus came into his life. That is, until Jesus radically changed his life. Now, you may be thinking, as you're sitting here this morning, man, Pastor Bruce, you don't know me. You don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know what I've done in my past. You don't know who I am, even today in the present. There's no way God can change my life. And perhaps you're thinking that right now. And I simply want to challenge that thinking and say, listen, that is simply not true. And we're going to see that that's not true from this encounter here with Zacchaeus. Because this encounter here shows us that if God can change Zacchaeus into a righteous person to where he begins to live out his name then God can certainly do the same for you. What we're going to see in this encounter is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done in the past, Jesus can change your life. You can be a living example of a righteous person. Now that's something to have hope in. That's something to, to get excited about. And so let's look at it this morning. The close encounter between Zacchaeus and Jesus shows us two simple points. This story is so simple and yet so powerful. And so notice the first point. No matter who I am, Jesus came to seek me. Jesus came to seek me, no matter who I am. Verse 1 introduces us to the city where this encounter takes place. It's the city of Jericho. 
And I'm sure you've heard of that city before. In fact, Jesus has been to Jericho many times. But as I said already, this is his final time to pass through on his way to Jerusalem. Jericho was one of the most important cities of ancient Israel. It was located in the tropical plain about six miles west of the Jordan River. And and basically, you know, all you need to understand is that made it the center of trade, commerce, business, industry, and agriculture. What all that means is this. Jericho in Jesus' day, let me tell you, was a good place to be. And it was an even better place to live. You know how the newspapers sometimes, uh, they'll rank the top ranking cities in America, top places to live. You know, Sioux City, Iowa was ranked, you know, or South Dakota maybe, was ranked in the top five. And then you have all these other cities, you know, a great place to be and live. Let me tell you, in Jesus' day, the USA Today would have ranked Jericho in the top three cities to live and be. It was a great place. By now, Jesus is well known. He's at the tail end of his earthly ministry. And everybody either hates him or loves him. I mean, after three and a half years of ministry, no one can ignore Jesus Christ. And so when word begins to spread that this miracle-working rabbi from Galilee has come to the city of Jericho again, let me tell you, people by the hundreds, perhaps even by the thousands, flock down the dirt streets to see Jesus as he passes through, including a desperate man named Zacchaeus. In fact, you'll notice in your notes, Zacchaeus was desperately seeking Jesus. He was desperately seeking Jesus. In fact, you'll notice on the screen here, there's a painting uh, done by uh, Neil Perro, who's the artist of it. kind of gives you just a picture, if you will, visual picture of what this may have looked like. But verse 3 says that Zacchaeus sought to see who Jesus was. Now, when you read that statement, Zacchaeus is desperately seeking Jesus. The question immediately becomes, why? Why is he doing this? I mean, why was Zacchaeus so desperate to see this miracle-working guy named Jesus? Well, the answer, I believe, is found when we begin to understand a little bit about who Zacchaeus is as a person. And verse 2 tells us, look at it with me again. It says, now behold... There was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Now, I don't know about you, but immediately when I read this story, I have to admit, in my imagination, I picture Zacchaeus like Danny DeVito in a robe. Right? Just, you know, Danny DeVito in a robe. There's just something about those shifty eyes of his and his swagger that makes him the perfect little big man. Kind of reminds me of the story about a fitness center which was offering $1,000 to anyone who could demonstrate that they were stronger than the owner of the fitness center. Here's how it worked. This muscle man would squeeze a lemon until all the juice ran into a glass. And then he hand the lemon to the next challenger. Anyone who could squeeze just one more drop of juice would win the money. Many people tried. Over time, weightlifters came in, construction workers, even professional wrestlers, but nobody could do it. One day, though, a short, skinny guy came in and signed up for the contest. After the laughter quieted down, the owner grabbed a lemon and squeezed away. And then he handled the wrinkled remains to the little man. The crowd's laughter turned to silence as the man clenched his fist around the lemon and six drops fell into the glass. As the crowd cheered, the manager paid out the winning prize of $1,000 and then asked the short guy what he did for a living. Are you a lumberjack? Are you a weightlifter? Or, or what? What are you? What do you do for a living? And the man calmly replied, I work for the IRS. <laughs> you could say... Zacchaeus worked for the Roman IRS, and let me tell you, he knew how to squeeze the last drop from people's wallets. Now, it was a simple fact in the first century that tax collectors were basically greedy extortionists. They were thugs who used pressure, used intimidation to extort money from the common people of Israel. In, In fact, history tells us that Israel, the nation of Israel at that time, was one of the most taxed of all nations in the first century. 
And so as a tax collector who worked for the Roman government, let me tell you, Zacchaeus was considered a thief and a traitor by the Jewish people. But, as more, but he was more than just a tax collector. Luke tells us he was a chief tax collector, which basically means he was in charge of all the tax collectors, and he was able to take a cut of commission from those who collected taxes for him. Zacchaeus, in other words, other words stood on top of the tax collection pyramid, stuffing his pockets with shekels before he sent the required taxes on to Rome. Uh, if Rome charged a 5% tax, Zacchaeus maybe would charge 10, 20, up to 30% tax on the people. And he'd send the 5% on and pocket the rest of the money for himself. In fact, Zacchaeus was in charge of one of the three tax offices in all of Israel and may have had the best job of them all since Jericho was considered the tax capital of Palestine. You could say Zacchaeus was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. And so it's not surprising then that the very last part of verse 2 tells us that he was what? Rich. Some of your Bibles may translate that word and even say wealthy. It all means the same thing. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now please understand, at this point in time in Zacchaeus' life, he has three strikes against him. Three strikes against him. First of all, he was a tax collector. And as a tax collector, let me tell you, back then they weren't liked any better than tax collectors are like today. The second strike was he was a crook. He was a cheat, which made him filthy rich in the fullest sense of the term. And the third strike was he was working for the hated Roman Empire. So what we have here in the very beginning of the story to set the context of why Zacchaeus is so desperate to see Jesus is we have a filthy rich, crooked tax collector working for the enemy. Folks, listen, if you took a poll that day and asked, name the most hated man in Jericho, Zacchaeus would have won in a landslide. The people hated his guts. They couldn't stand the sight of this man, which explains why tax collectors, you ever notice this in the Gospels, why they were often linked with murderers, robbers, criminals, adulterers, and other despicable sinners in the minds of the people. So when the people of Jericho, if you can imagine this, put yourself where they were, if you're lining the streets to see Jesus, and as they see Zacchaeus coming to see Jesus too, let me tell you, there was no sympathy for him. None whatsoever. Now think about this for a moment with me. From a tax-collecting perspective, though, Zacchaeus had it made. I mean, as chief tax collector, he was powerful, he was successful, and he was filthy rich. And yet, he was desperate to see Jesus. Why? Why? I mean, come on, let's just analyze this for a moment. In the world's eyes, he had it made. Isn't that what the world measures success by today? He was successful, he was powerful, and he was filthy rich. In the world, you've just climbed to the top of the ladder. So what would motivate him? What is it that, why, why he wanted to see Jesus? Why was he so desperate? Well, notice it in your notes there. Because you can be rich and not be happy. You can be powerful and not be loved. And you can be successful and not be satisfied. You see, Zacchaeus had learned the hard way, one of life's most basic lessons. Money, power, and success can't make you happy, loved, and satisfied. Zacchaeus, we could say, was an empty man. He was desperate. He was dissatisfied and unfulfilled on the inside. In other words, something was missing in his life. And that's why I think Zacchaeus was curious about this man named Jesus. Perhaps he had heard through the tax collector's grapevine 
what happened when Jesus met Levi. You ever heard of Levi? A tax collector who had dinner with Jesus. And let me tell you, as we said in all these encounters, when you encounter Jesus, you never leave the same. Well, here was a living example of another tax collector named Levi who had dinner with Jesus, and Jesus radically changed his life. And perhaps word of that had spread to Zacchaeus. Like, well, if Jesus can do that for another tax collector, perhaps he can do something for me because I have made it in the world's eyes, but there's something missing still. Zacchaeus had a hole in his heart that made him desperate to see Jesus. But he had a small problem. Verse 3, look at it. It says, And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was what? Oh, yeah, he was short. Short of stature. Now, you know, at six foot three, I personally have never had this problem. Being tall, in fact, has its advantages. I'm thankful God has created me to be this tall. Uh, I'll share just one example of this. It has its advantages. When Pastor Chris and I went on a, uh, a missions trip to, uh, uh, we first went to uh, uh, the Philippines, Manila, and then we went over to Hong Kong, China, and then eventually over to Beijing, China. And in Beijing, China, we decided we would go to Tiananmen Square, and it's where they have the changing of the guard. And we got there early, and we're just kind of milling around, walking around. All of a sudden, when it got time for the changing of the guard, I'm talking thousands upon thousands of Chinese people came to see this. It's a big deal. And, I mean, we're like this, hoarding, you know, it's, it's shoulder to shoulder. But, you know, I had no problem seeing. I'm just, like, looking right over them, because they all came up to here on me. Chris, on the other hand, well, he's like, Bruce, what are they doing? What's going on? What's... And so I had a camcorder. And I'm just, I'm holding the camcorder up like this, and I turn the viewfinder. All right, Chris, look in the viewfinder, you know. And then all the Chinese people, they started looking in the viewfinder because they could see themselves, and they got the biggest kick out of that, which that was ironic to me because, well, yeah, we won't go there. But anyways, I never had that, this problem of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had a problem of being too short to see Jesus. Now, we're not told exactly how short he was. Maybe he was simply around five foot tall, or maybe a little shorter than that, who knows? Nevertheless, Zacchaeus is desperate to see Jesus. So if you can imagine this, as I do, he pushes his way through the people, the crowd, maybe perhaps standing on his tiptoes trying to see. Can I see? No, it doesn't help. And of course, when the people turn and see Zacchaeus, I'm sure many of them just, Ugh. oh, sorry, Zach, didn't notice you there. Ugh. Maybe even spit in his face because they hate him so bad. Zacchaeus may be short, but folks, he wasn't slow. Verse 4, look what it says. So he ran ahead, that is, of the crowd of people, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now, sycamore trees often grow, grew by the side of the road, and they had these branches that grew out horizontally from the trunk, which would have given Zacchaeus a good view of Jesus to climb up there. And Zacchaeus was a desperate man, and he didn't allow anything, not the crowd nor his condition, to stand between him and his desire to see the Lord Jesus Christ that day. Now, Zacchaeus thought he was seeking Jesus, and to some extent he was, but He's about to learn, as we're going to learn right now, that Jesus was graciously seeking Zacchaeus. There's this great commotion. There's great excitement as Jesus comes walking through the crowds of people. And then something amazing happens in verse 5. Look what it says. And when Jesus came to the place, you say, what place? The place of the sycamore tree, where Zacchaeus has climbed up into and so when Jesus came to the place of the sycamore tree, he looked up and saw him. Now, I, I love this idea of Christ. We, we've looked at four encounters. And yet, have you noticed almost every encounter, what's Jesus doing when he encounters people? He's seeing. He sees people in need. He sees our hearts. He knows what we're like on the inside. He notices people. And this is no different. He looked up and he saw Zacchaeus. 
and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now you could write over this verse, verse 5, or beside in the margins of your Bible, you could write the words, grace. Grace. Because what Jesus did in verse 5 is all because of grace. In fact, Jesus did two things that absolutely shocked the crowd of people that day. And I'm sure it must have shocked Zacchaeus as well. First of all, Jesus calls the biggest crook in Jericho by what? His name. Now, folks, that's no accident. I believe Jesus did that on purpose. And remember, Zacchaeus' name means what? Righteous one. And yet, he was anything but righteous. In fact, this may have been the first time in years that Zacchaeus was called by his real name. Call him, Zacchaeus, call him a righteous one? No way. People probably had some nickname for him. And yet, Jesus comes by, sees him, and calls him by name. Shocked the crowd? I'm sure it shocked Zacchaeus. And then number two, Jesus invited himself as a guest at the house of the biggest scoundrel in Jericho. Let me tell you, this was unthinkable in the minds of the people. And so it's no wonder that in verse 7 that they say, but when they saw it, they all murmured. That word murmured just means they complained. And they did it loud enough to where people could hear, saying, he's gone to be guest with a man who is a sinner. Can you believe it? Can't believe Jesus is going to be a guest in the house of a sinner. Now, don't miss this, because here's the important point. Zacchaeus has done nothing to deserve the grace Jesus is showing him. He has done absolutely nothing in his life. In fact, he's gone the opposite way. He is too small, and his sin is too big. And so everything that Jesus is showing him is by the grace of God. Jesus calls him by name when he's the worst man in the city. Folks, that's grace. Jesus invites himself to his house when he's the biggest sinner in the city. That's also grace. I love what one pastor writes. He says, God moves near to you in Jesus Christ with welcoming arms. No matter who you are or what you have done, God comes to you. He keeps coming to you. He keeps extending his love to you until you come out of the tree and bring him home. That's the grace of God working in your life. Now, before we move on, I want to point out a crucial truth. Because here's the danger again of the story. We've heard this so much, as I said, that we just gloss over it, we pass over it. And right now, as we read this story, we think, oh yeah, that's Zacchaeus. But folks, can I remind us, there's a little bit of Zacchaeus in all of us. And there's a whole lot of Zacchaeus in most of us. And here's why. Notice it in your notes. We share Zacchaeus' same problem. And that problem is this. And I put it in the first person because it's personal. It's my problem as much as it's your problem. Look at it. I am too small and my sin is too big. In a spiritual sense, all of us are small in stature and all of us are big in sin. Like Zacchaeus, we are not able to measure up to God's holiness, to God's standards, for all have sinned and what? Fall short of the glory of God according to Romans 3.23. And the consequences of this spiritual problem that we all share is that it separates us from a holy God. And that's why we need the grace of God to redeem us and to reconcile us back to him. Now the tragedy is this. There's still so many people, and perhaps you're here and you're one of these people who think, they are big because they measure themselves by the world's standards. They measure themselves because they have made it successfully in a job. They have a little bit of authority and power, prestige, and they have acquired some wealth. They're secure in their home and in their finances when most people in this economy are struggling a little bit. 
And whatever the case, let me tell you, if you live here in America, we're all somewhat rich. And it's so easy to think we're big. We've made it. But listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, verse 15. He says, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. In other words, what's my problem? What's your problem? I'm too small and my sin is too big. And that problem separates me from God. And that's why we need God's grace. Now this encounter between Jesus and Zacchaeus shows us that no matter who I am, Jesus came to seek me. That's a glorious thing. That's the grace of God. But it also shows us point number two, no matter what I've done, Jesus came to save me. Because he doesn't just come to seek us, he comes to save us as well. You see, the people thought Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. And financially he was. But in reality, he was just a bankrupt sinner who needed to receive God's saving grace. So it's no surprise Zacchaeus didn't waste any time getting down from the tree. Do you notice it in verse 6? Look at it. <coughs> it says, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Now, I love the, Eugene Peterson's uh, paraphrase of this in the Message Bible. He says it this way. He scrambled down out of the tree. He scrambled down. Now, if we can write the word grace over verse 5, then we can write the word faith over verse 6. Because that's exactly what Zacchaeus is demonstrating when he received Jesus as his guest with joy. And I believe that when Jesus came over to Zacchaeus' house, they, in that day, it was very customary to have dinner together. I'm sure Jesus and Zach talked and shared this meal. And over the course of that time, man, God opened up Zacchaeus' heart even more. He opened up his eyes. And Zacchaeus received Jesus Christ, not only as a guest in his house, but now as his Lord and as his Savior in his heart. You see, because of God's grace, Zacchaeus experienced a spectacular salvation. A spectacular salvation. Listen, this is a wonderful picture of the grace of God saving the worst of sinners. As Jesus declares in verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house. Now, it's my opinion, but I don't think we fully appreciate just how spectacular Zacchaeus' salvation really was. In fact, I think we sometimes take for granted just how spectacular our salvation really is. Folks, listen to me. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are. Whenever anyone experiences God's saving grace, it's spectacular. It's a spectacular salvation for anyone who received Christ as their Lord and Savior. We know in Luke, in previous chapters, chapter 15, that the Bible tells us that when anyone comes into Christ and his family, that all of heaven celebrates. It's a miracle. It's spectacular. And so, yes, Zacchaeus is salvation. It is a spectacular salvation. But if you've been saved by the grace of God, yours is just as spectacular. Because it's by grace. Yes, it's by faith through grace in Jesus Christ that we are saved. Now, notice this with me because two things happen here. Number one, first of all, Zacchaeus experienced God's saving grace. He experienced God's saving grace. Now, I want to submit something for your consideration about God's radical saving grace in the life of Zacchaeus. If you go one chapter earlier, in chapter 18 of Luke, Jesus has another encounter, this time with a rich young ruler. This rich young ruler wanted to follow Christ, wanted to follow Jesus. And so Jesus tells him to sell all that he has and give the proceeds to the poor. 
You're like, man, why would Jesus tell the guy that? Well, Jesus knew that he loved riches more than he loved God. Jesus knew that he was putting his security in riches and not really in Jesus Christ. And so when the rich young ruler heard what Jesus said, the Bible tells us that he walked away very sorrowful, for he was rich. And then Jesus makes this very unsettling statement in Luke chapter 18, verses 24 and 27. Listen to what he says. Jesus looked at him, that is the rich young ruler, and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, you have to understand, with that pronouncement, with the words that Jesus just said right there, fresh on the minds of Jesus' followers, they must have been waiting in anticipation to see what was going to happen when Jesus encounters Zacchaeus now. After all, Jesus had just said earlier, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And we all know that that's basically impossible, right? It's hyperbole. Then for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And everyone knows Zacchaeus is what? He's filthy rich. And so they must have thought, the people that had heard Jesus make this statement, they must have thought, man, why is Jesus then wasting his time with a filthy rich guy like Zacchaeus? Folks, because Jesus knows that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And that day, Zacchaeus experienced God's impossible saving grace in his life. It was a spectacular salvation. And so it doesn't matter if you're poor, if you're medium income, or if you're wealthy. It doesn't matter what you've done or who you are. Jesus' saving grace can save you when we humble ourselves and come before him. That's an amazing concept. If Zacchaeus can be saved, anybody can be saved. But that's not all that took place in his life. Notice this, Zacchaeus not only experienced God's saving grace, he experienced God's changing grace. Now again, if we would have taken a survey of the people in Jericho and asked, hey, who, who's the, the least likely person in your city to change his life? It would have been a unanimous vote. Why? It would have been that crooked tax collector Zacchaeus. And there's no hope for him. Folks, you understand, the people have, they've written this guy off. The people have written him off long ago, but not Jesus. And when Zacchaeus experienced God's saving grace, he also experienced God's changing grace. Now, it's no, Zac, it's no secret, Zacchaeus had a problem. And because of his decisions in the past, he had a huge problem. And I'm not talking about a small problem in stature. He had been a crook for many years. And that's how he became filthy rich. But now Zacchaeus and Jesus, they're eating dinner together. And the problem is that the people are looking at the old Zac. They're judging him by the old standards. You see, when, when they see Zacchaeus, all they see is the man he used to be. They don't understand that the man who came down from the tree is now the brand new Zach, with a brand new life, and with a brand new set of spiritual values. All they see is the old Zach still. So if you're Zacchaeus, put yourself in his shoes now, how do you show to the world that you become a new man by the power of of God's saving grace. Well, verse 8 tells us what Zach does. Look at it. 
Zach stands, and he turns to Jesus, and he says, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, do you understand what Zach is saying right here? This is amazing. He's basically saying, Lord, I've got a lot of money, but I got it the wrong way. So, Lord, I'm going to take half of it right off the top and give it to the poor. And then I'm going to use the other half to pay back everybody I've cheated. And just so they'll know that I'm a changed man, that your grace has radically changed my life, and it's for real, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. Now here's the question. Does that seem radical to you? Well, it all depends on your heart. See, if you're a cheating tax collector whose life has just been changed by God's grace, why wouldn't you do that? The greater question is this. How do you show the reality of God's saving grace in your life to the world? The answer is this. You show the reality of God's changing grace in your life. Now, don't miss the principle, and I wish I would have put this in your notes, but I didn't. So listen to me carefully, because here's the principle that I want you to understand from this, what Zacchaeus is doing here. The reality of your new life in Christ will be seen at precisely the point of your old weakness. Let me say it again. The reality of your new life in Christ will be seen at precisely the point of your old weakness. For example, let's take Zacchaeus. His point of weakness was what? Money. Greed. Therefore, that's the point which his new life had to be demonstrated or else nobody would believe that he had really experienced God's saving grace. When you come to Christ, if your problem is gossip, if that area doesn't change, listen, don't think anybody is going to buy your Christianity just because you come to church now on Sundays. If immorality, if lust is your problem, then that's the area that has to change. And if that doesn't change, then going to small group or serving in a ministry isn't going to convince anybody. Listen, if bitterness is your problem, that's the area that has to change. If treating people like dirt is your problem, that's the area that has to change. If a bad temper is your problem, that's where change has to be demonstrated in your life. Yes, it's true. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But folks, listen to me. Unless your faith is backed up by the evidence of a changed life, no one will believe you. You say, why is that? Because we are justified. And the word justified simply means declared righteous. We are justified. We are declared righteous before God, Almighty, a holy God. By what? By faith in the person of Jesus Christ. By His righteousness. And I put my faith in Him and what He did on the cross in His resurrection. So now, when God sees me, He doesn't see me as a sinner anymore. He sees me justified. He declares me justified. He declares me righteous. And so, we are justified before God by our faith in Jesus Christ. But listen to me. We are justified before each other. Before men. Before this world. By works. You say, why? Why is that? Because only God can see our faith. Only God can see our heart. And the only thing men can see is our works. The evidence of our faith. And now there's no contradiction here. Listen, talk all you want about your faith. And folks, we need to. We need to share our faith in Jesus Christ. We need to share that we are saved by faith in grace. By, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We must share that. Talk all you want, but then we must also show it by the way we live. 
That's the point of this. Now, this is a tremendously important principle because it shows us that no matter who I am, no matter what I've done, God's grace is powerful enough to save me and change me. If God can save Zacchaeus, he can save you. But folks, listen, if God can change Zacchaeus, he can change you. We are without excuse. Zacchaeus experienced God's amazing grace because Jesus graciously sought him out when everyone else despised him. It was God's grace that prompted Zacchaeus to see Jesus. And it's God's grace that that makes you and I hungry. It causes us to search for something more. It compels us to come to Christ. Pastor Kent Hughes says it this way. Zacchaeus was caught by grace because in his seeking, he was sought by grace. So let me ask you this morning. Is God's grace seeking you? Is his grace tugging at your heart? and compelling you to come to Jesus? Listen, if so, like Zacchaeus, you are in the sycamore tree, and Jesus is calling you to come down. So let's conclude this now quickly. How do we respond to it all? How do we respond to God's seeking and saving grace? First of all, respond with faith. Respond with faith. Now, Zacchaeus' faith is not mentioned directly in this passage, but it's evident by his repentance for his sin, and his willingness to make restitution. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. Remember, I just said, we just said that we're not justified before God by our works. It's by our faith. And when we receive Jesus Christ by faith, and John 1.12 becomes a reality in our lives. It says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So if God is tugging at your heart this morning, respond with faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, though, respond with haste. Respond with haste. Jesus told Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Now, it's not easy to hurry down out of a tree. You ever tried? You can hurt yourself. You can fall. So perhaps he just jumped down. We don't know. But one thing we do know, he didn't waste any time getting down from that tree. And neither should you. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Now is the day of salvation. And Hebrews 4.7 reminds us, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen, you may not have tomorrow. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. God forbid you could leave here and be killed on 169 Highway or I-35 or somewhere. Today is the day if God is tugging at you. And then, number three, respond with joy. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully. We're literally with rejoicing. Why? Because that's the natural response when God's saving grace floods your soul. When you understand that no matter who I am or what I've done, Jesus came to seek me and to save me, let me tell you, great joy will be my response. What did Jesus come to do for you? Oh, man. He came to seek you, and he came to save you so you can experience life change. Exhibit A is Zacchaeus. But folks, listen to me. Exhibit B can be your life today if you will respond to God's seeking and saving grace. Jesus came so that he can say in your life, today salvation has come to this house. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you, has salvation come to your house? Has salvation come to your heart? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for encounters like this one. I thank you, Father, that when 
I was far from you. You sought me and you brought me into a a right relationship with you. All because of Jesus Christ and his death for my sins and his victorious resurrection that shows his power to make all things new. Thank you for creating new life in me. But Father, there are others who, who'd say the same prayer of thanksgiving. And I'm sure there are some here who've just come to find out more. And so God, I ask that this morning, that for some of those, that it would become very clear and you would draw them to you. They need to respond to your saving grace. And so if you're here today and you've been feeling this internal quest, this tugging of God at your heart, and this morning, you know that what you need is what Zacchaeus needed. You need to, Jesus to forgive your sins. And you need Him to become the new leader of your life. Listen, I want to encourage you to acknowledge that in a simple, humble prayer. A prayer something like this, God, I need your help, and I'm trusting Jesus to forgive my sin and bring me new life. And from today forward, I invite Jesus to lead my life. Dear Lord, we know it's your heart's desire to wash away all that's old and sinful and dirty and clean our hearts. And so, Father, I thank you for the new life you've brought and desired to bring to all. You know, this is the fourth and concluding message, and during our response time, I want to do something a little differently. I want us to stand, and the praise team's going to sing, and as they do, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar. Listen, if God is tugging at your heart, respond with faith, with haste, and with joy here at this altar, and let the grace of God save your life and change your life. Will you respond? Will you stand now as the praise team sings? I'll be here to meet you. If you need somebody to pray with you, we'll help you out on that as well. Listen, there's no shame. Zacchaeus didn't let his stature or his condition hinder him from seeking Jesus. Don't let it hinder you this morning. Wherever you are, Jesus wants to meet you where you are. You're calling me to lay aside the worries of my day to quiet down my busy mind.